Grace be unto you and peace. Wondrous peace from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text this evening, a little bit of a different twist because it is also a communion text, but it is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and I'll read in this way. The Apostle Paul writes, Therefore, dear friends, flee from idolatry. I speak to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of one loaf. Here ends our text. A guy by the name of L. Ron Hubbard founded the cult of Scientology. One may spend a lot of time trying to be able to understand the so-called complex teachings and beliefs of this very weird cult, but Scientology, just like all cults, captures people by going after their worth, their identity, their accomplishments, their ego, and then having destroyed the soul of their target, offers to be the source from which they can then establish their identity and their worth. The method of the cult is that it becomes itself an idol, a god to the person seeking to find that self-identity. And what he or she ends up with is absolute slavery. There are some things I think that everybody, Christians and non-Christians alike, that we all know to be true, and the cult likes to play upon those things. That supreme idol of all idols is actually our own self. We call it the old Adam. It's what we have inherited from our first parents in their fall. Surely, everybody knows what we are sinful and we have done things against God and we have violated our consciences. But you know, if you could just take those standards of judgment away from us, then we could become like God. Imagine for a moment, just to try and put this into perspective, imagine that all of a sudden there was some massive disease in the world and everybody died but you. And as you're walking down Main Street, why, you could walk into the store and you could pick out anything that you wanted and you wouldn't feel guilty. And you could go over to the bank, not that you would even need money at that point, but you could go to the bank and you could take all the money out of the bank and all the gold. And you wouldn't have to feel guilty. But if there are five or ten or twenty or a hundred or a thousand people who were watching what you would do, you would in your conscience know that you had actually done something wrong. So the objective of the cult leader is that he wants to tell you that nobody else is allowed to judge you 
but him. You can be your own God, as a Scientologist would basically say this, when you came to understand your true self. But if you believe in him and you make him your God, that cult leader, then he becomes the one who is your judge. And then you must depend upon his approval for your peace of mind. The point behind all this is that when our God becomes ourselves, then we will inevitably actually become slaves to other gods. One thing is also true about this. All these idols always fail. Scientologists like to prey upon actors. It promises to make them successful, like Tom Cruise. But it does, make, does not take long, and all these actors come to find out that they're going to grow old someday and that someone's going to end up being a better actor, and then the movie business moves beyond them, and they're just left behind. We have our own idols, too, and... We should not think that idolatry is always somebody else's problem. Well, if we are intelligent and knowledgeable and successful like so many of us are, these things come to be the thing that assures us that we are in a good place in life. They speak to us as voices of authority that tell us something about ourselves. And yet they too will always fail. We age. We find ourselves building things that go crumbling down or pass away or go out of date. Our reputation disappears as each new generation just looks forward and does not want to look backward. And if we don't have the problem of these idols that tell us how wonderful we are, we always have the idols that tell us how wonderful we're not. If we don't have these so-called great assets or qualities, if we're not successful or kind of successful or knowledgeable or kind of knowledgeable or wealthy or kind of not wealthy, then we can always make them into our idols or we prove them to be our idols by the way that we grieve over not having them. And if we do this, whether we succeed or whether we do not succeed, as long as they become our idols, we become their slaves. There is only one way to true freedom. The only way is by the real God becoming our God. And there is only one God. Only he has the right and the authority to tell us who we are. And it can be extremely painful when he tells us who we are. He tells us that beyond even our own reason and sense, there is a corruption to our natures, as though perhaps even we were in dreams thinking we were real. All the things that we consider to be valuable in the eyes of men are not Everything that is esteemed in the eyes of men is, as Jesus describes it, bedellung. It is worthless in the, in the sight of God. 
It can be painful because, as David said, in sin did my mother conceive me, that there's nothing, not a single thing that we can do that has any merit or value in the sight of God. As Paul would say, there is no one that is righteous, not even one. No human being can be justified in God's sight. And that can be extremely painful. On top of that, God puts his law in front of our eyes, those Ten Commandments, and there we see our anger and our hate and our bitterness and our jealousy. We see our own lack of love for God, our lack and our failure to worship him, and instead to allow the world to become that thing which we desire more than to be even in his presence. And it makes us realize how much of an idol exists inside of each and every one of us. But there is only one Savior, and he is the one who tells us what we really are in this meal. The only way that we can be freed from our self-idolatry is through him. By turning heart and mind over to this God, and this God-man who would give his life and sacrifice himself in order that he might free us by delivering us from the condemnations of our sins and from the assaults and the accusations of the devil and even from death itself. Sin and death must be destroyed, for these are the very tools of the cult. And the cult behind the cult is that of the devil and all evil. The cult keeps telling us that we are flawed, that we cannot find ourselves apart from that cultic thing. But the Savior, he puts his righteousness and his worth and his value upon us like a robe and tells us that we have absolute perfection before God as we enter into the presence of Christ. In the Lord's Supper, therefore, he gives his own life in exchange for our life. We know that in our baptism, every one of us were united with him in his death, and that as he was raised from the dead, that literally we partake, partook of his resurrection in that baptism. But we also can see in the Lord's Supper that he gives to us his body and his blood, that we may be pardoned and forgiven and thereby set free from the power of sin and death and the devil. This is the meal that destroys idolatry. We cannot and must not come to it with a dependence upon anything else in this world other than his word and his promise. We must believe his word alone. Like children, who have been raised in an abusive family, we have to renounce those tormentors and claim the voice only of the one who loves us, the Son of God, who tells us who we really are. Ask yourself those simple kind of pseudo-psychological questions. Where's my affirmation in life? Where's my pride? Where's my worth? Where's my security? Where's my happiness? There is no other place that we can find these things 
other than there in the body and the blood of Christ. That is why the Apostle Paul, in the same context in which, which he speaks about the Lord's Supper, simply says, flee idolatry. We must renounce all other voices of authority, and we must accept only one voice of authority that says to us, given and shed for you. There and there alone do we find the power to be able to live our lives free. Many years ago, and in a different state, I had a member of my congregation who came to our congregation through a friend, went through the adult instruction, and she was a person who had experienced a tremendous amount of abuse as a child. And like many who have suffered this kind of thing, she became a target for cults after I left. She was targeted by a cultic group, and in true fashion, they went after her by tearing her down and telling her that she was insufficient and worthless in every way. She told me that she was finally able to break their attempts to enslave her when she remembered what it is that she had been taught. That, as Paul says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And in those words, she found power. Take, eat, this is my body. Take, drink, this is my blood, which has been shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Those words tell us who we are. Who we are only in the eyes of God. And they are the words that set us free from the power of each and every form of idolatry. Amen. May these words, gospel, hope, promise, keep your heart steadfast in this one true faith unto life everlasting. Amen.